You're listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast of readings and archives from City Lights books and publishers. To learn more, visit www.citylights.com. Hey everybody, welcome to City Lights. I'm Peter. This is, a, a, I would say, a watershed moment for us and a homecoming of sorts uh, because City Lights, back in 1975, published a book called Insights and Poems by Huey P. Newton and Erica Huggins. And so um, we come in a full circle and it's also very auspicious because we are celebrating the women of the Black Panther Party in this wonderful, wonderful book. You can see some of the photographs in this book uh, taken by Stephen Shames and of course the text is by Erica Huggins. Uh, before we begin, it is customary at the beginning of each of these events to pay homage. Uh, this is Ramatisha Ohlone ancestral homeland that we are on at the moment, so a moment of respect for those who came before us as stewards of the land. So this book has been a long time in the coming, and as I said, it's one of the very first books. It also has just a beautiful amalgam of just gorgeous photos, as you can see, and text. Um, Erica Huggins, as many of you know, um, is a poet, an educator, human rights activist, and Black Panther Party member. As a lifelong activist for 50 years, Ms. Huggins has used her life experience in service to community. From 1973 to 1981, she was the director of the Black Panther Party's Oakland Community School. From 1990 to 2004, she managed the HIV-AIDS volunteer and education programs. She has also supported innovative mindfulness programs for women and youth in schools, jails, and prisons. Ms. Huggins was professor of sociology and African-American studies from 2008 to 2015 in the Peralta Community College District. From 2003 to 2011, she's professor of women and gender studies at California State University's East Bay and San Francisco. To the present day, she facilitates workshops in the benefit of self-care and sustaining social change. So we are also very honored to have Stephen James, who has authored over 10 monographs, and his images are in the permanent collection of 40 museums and foundations. His work is dedicated to promoting social change and sharing the stories of those who are frequently overlooked in society. His previous monographs include Power to the People, The World of the Black Panthers, co-authored with Bobby Seale, and The Black Panthers, published by Aperture Books. Through working closely with the Black Panther Party, Mr. Shames was able to take intimate, behind-the-scenes photographs that fully portray party members' lives. And this marks his third book about the Black Panthers and includes many hitherto never seen images, so you're in for a treat. Also joining us tonight is Catherine Campbell. Ms. Campbell was a member of the Black Panther Party and was involved in the Free Breakfast Program and the Black Panther Party newspaper, as well as other programs. Ms. Campbell has served as a nutritionist in the Oakland Community School, and she still serves the people through community leadership building as a community specialist through creating breakfast for school children programs in the San Francisco Bay Area. Also joining us today is Judy Juanita. She is a novelist, a poet, and an essayist. Her poetry collection, Manhattan My Ass, here in Oakland. What a great title. <laughs> Won the American Book Award in 2021. And her semi-autobiographical novel, Virgin Soul, was published by Viking Books 
its protagonist joins the Black Panther Party in the 60s in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, her collection of short stories, The High Price of Freeways, won the 2021 Tarte Fiction Award. Uh, her poem, Bling, was nominated for the Pushcart Prize in 2012, and her essay, The Gun as Performance Poem, was nominated for Pushcart in 2014. She teaches writing at the University of California in Berkeley, and I'd also like to point out that we have a special guest in the audience tonight. We're delighted that James Smith, the CEO of ACC Art Books, who have published this beautiful tome, has flown all the way from London to attend this event. So, James, wherever you are, I hope we can kind of put you on the spot by the end of this. I want to take a moment to also thank Mary Albee of ACC, who just painstakingly was, you know, so helpful in helping us bring this all together. Um, so I am going to turn it over now to Stephen Shames. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Well, hi, I'm one of the, I, I came from uh, New York. Um, so, <laughs> but I love Oakland. I'm riffing on the title. <laughs> anyway, I've, I've been uh, really fortunate and, and blessed that I, when I was a student at Berkeley, um, ran into the Black Panther Party because I really, it, incredible, I really learned a lot from them and it really uh, changed my life. And I didn't even think about it at, at, at the time. It took, took a while. As you women in the audience know, women have been doing things for centuries and the achievements of women are often overlooked. <laughs> And, um, you know, in our kind of, until very uh, recently when women have been kind of standing up and saying, hey, wait a second, look at us. We, 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 we're, we're con contributing. The Black Panther Party, two thirds of the members of the Black Panther Party were women and the women were really the backbone of the party. They, the Panthers had 60, community programs from feeding um, children breakfast um, they they were doing they had a medical cadre they they were out in the streets testing people for sickle cell um, they gave away shoes free clothing um, anyway there were six, 60 programs and most of them were staffed and run by by the women so I'm, I'm really humbled to have been able to to do a book that really brings to light their you know after all these years the the achievements of of the women i mean if you look at the i won't talk about specifically the pictures but if you look at the joy and the commitment and just the dedication of of the the, the panther women that's not only important in terms of presenting a true history of what went on in this country and as we all know there are those people out there who we won't mention who are don't want to teach our children the the true history of of things that happened in in this country including slavery and all the the, the events that that have happened um, but the book is also important because the Panthers really provided a blueprint, a roadmap for what we should be doing now. 
we're facing many challenges now i'm not going to go into them all you all everyone here knows what what the challenges are and what the threats to our our country are right now and the panthers really provided a model that can be replicated of how to organize communities how to serve the people how to show love to the people and that's you know i know all of you agree but that's what we really need need to be doing now so i you know hope you'll um many of you will get this book and and enjoy i hope you enjoy the book and right now i'm going to turn the program over to uh, Erica Huggins and, and the Panther women. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Stephen. Peter, Stephen. And uh, thank you, everybody who's gathered here. And some unexpected friends showed up. That makes me feel really happy to see you all set. And so, and um, so, this next little segment of what we're going to do is hold a dear place in my heart because I didn't write the words that are in the book. The women of the Black Panther Party wrote those words, they said those words, and then my dear friend Angela LeBlanc Ernest, who wrote the study guide helped to transcribe those words and we did outtakes that the women permitted just so you know what the process was and so Catherine Campbell's words are in this book Judy Juanita's words are in this book and my story isn't there and that's intentional I wanted for three decades to give a place and a space for women who live the life I live to talk about it in their, with their own voice. So we're gonna have a conversation now about what it was like to be a woman of the Black Panther Party. Not what it was like because of something or instead of something, but or in spite of something, but what's your most memorable experience what do you take what are you bringing forward with you as you live now that was then this is now and i'm sorry to remind us that we're in more dire circumstances now than then in our world so we can begin anywhere um in this conversation would you like to say something um i was a uh, a teenager when I started college at Oakland City College and it later became named Merritt College but that's when I first encountered Huey Newton and Bobby Seal so I was there for two and a half years and Huey and Bobby were there and um, Evel Younger who later became the Attorney General of the state of California called Merritt College a hotbed of radicalism and that's what it was yes he, he was dead on uh, I didn't realize it at the point at that time I was just a young person 
actually going out on the lawn on Grove Street, which is now Martin Luther King Boulevard, and listening to all the radicals from all over, um, the SDS, WB Du Bois Club, uh, Young Socialist Alliance, nudist free, whatever the nudist was, Jefferson Pollock was it. So it was just everything that was in 1963. And um, also I um, was a cub reporter for the school paper and my locker was right outside the journalism class and the person whose locker was next to mine was a white girl. I can't remember her name. It seems like it was Margaret or Peggy, but she was Huey's girlfriend. So Huey used to always come there and say, where's Margaret? Where's Margaret? You know, and um, I, would, I don't know where she is, you know, but we took, she and I took two classes together and we always would see each other. So that was how I began to know Huey. And what happened was I tried to convince my editor, my, not, not the editor, the, um, the school advisor for the tower, the campus newspaper, about these new radicals, these militant young black men um, who were out on the, the, uh, in the front of the school. And he wasn't convinced about any of them, but I kept at it because I just thought they were so interesting. And he finally let me write a series of stories on them. So uh, I still was just concentrating on getting out of, of college and transferring. Like Margaret said, our parents could not have been less interested in us being, um, you know, being militant or radical. They just wanted us to get our education. So I transferred to San Francisco State, and it was there that I ran into Huey and Bobby again. And when I ran into them again, they had come to the college recruiting for the Black Panther Party exactly the way that um, IBM and Clorox and the other companies came. They came, they set up they set up a room, they had pamphlets in the in the in the back, you know, it's just that they had on their, you know, their black and their blue. And and my roommates, my four roommates and I went to there went there and uh, we listened to their spiel, you know, and my roommates wanted to join right away. And I said, I know these guys from City College. They are not playing hopscotch. This is not a game. But my roommates joined. Later journalists call this the summer of love, I think, you know, it was 1967. But for black people, it was one urban conflagration after another. It was one, and these riots at that time were uh, eight and nine and 10 days long. It was just terrible. So by, the, by August, I, I was hanging with my roomies anyway, and I joined at that time. So that was how I joined the party. And immediately they set us to work and they called the five of us, um, some people called us, the Sisters with Skills. And so I went and worked with Eldridge and Kathleen on the newspaper because I had newspaper experience. Evelyn Proctor um, worked um, as a treasurer. She worked with finances and became the treasurer for the party. Janice Garrett, now Janice Garrett Forte, 
uh, was Bobby Seale's scheduler. Joanne Mitchell, now Joanne Mitchell Stringer, was, um, she was the tough one of us. So oftentimes she was officer of the day, but she could handle any man, woman, anybody. And Betty Carter ran the office. She's, she's the only one who's deceased of us. So that was my start. That's amazing. That's amazing. And and yet we're and, and the way that you were connected and you talked us through those connections, we're still connected today. So Catherine, do you wanna say what brought you to the party and why and and what made you stay? Okay, uh, I'm holding on to this book for dear life. I encourage all of you to get it because it brings I'll about Oh, thank you. Woo. It's like my lifeline. Um, <laughs> it just means so much for me to, I call it love, because um, when I graduated from high school, I'm, I'm from San Francisco. I was born in Sacramento, but I'm from San Francisco. So I went through elementary, junior high, and high school. And um, by the time I got to high school, I made up my mind what my major was going to be. And it was going to be graphic arts or engineering. And uh, I used to get made in front of at school because people told me that I was um, acted like I was white. And I didn't know what white, acting like white meant. What did that mean? I'm a human, that's all. And I had to keep saying that, you know. But I was uh, experiencing things that let me know that I was black. But it did not stop me from love. So I, I was persistent with how I was going to love people. I was persistent because my grandmother taught me how to love people. She always taught me that love means you feed people. Love means you clothe them. Love means you do help them if they're in need. You know, if they need medical attention, you call somebody, get some help for them. If they need a place to stay, you give them a place to stay. You give them housing. And that's the way my grandmother was. I love her image and what she um, taught me. So I was supposed to be whizzed off to college and I didn't uh, stay there <laughs> because I experienced some racism and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I came back home. I told my mother, Mom, I want to go back home. I want to come and go to school here. And then when I came here, when I came back here, I had to wait a whole year. My sister said, go across the street and help with the breakfast program. There's a Black Panther breakfast program across the street on Fillmore at Sacred Heart Church. So I went over there and I started working with them, still trying to get in school. And this was all love because I still felt the love. I didn't feel intimidated. You know, we were working together, people, humans. It wasn't about being black and it wasn't about being white. It was about showing love and, 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 and showing little people who are children that we care and love them. So I wanted to stay with that, you know, all through school and whatnot. So when I, I, I was in the party, I, I, I was a, a community worker at first and then I became uh, a member because uh, they asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do graphic arts. I want to do what I was supposed to do when I went to Florida, Miami, Florida. 
So they said, okay, work with Emory on the newspaper. And when I started working on the paper and the articles that, were, um, that we were printing in the newspaper, they were letting me know that our communities weren't being served. And I said, well, we need to show them, you know, somebody needs to show us that they care, you know, because we love everyone. And the 10-point platform and program showed that we loved everyone because in that from 1 to 10, we said what our community needs in order for us to be like white people. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but to have that privilege, you know, because we saw them being loved, but we weren't getting any. And I was wondering why. I used to ask my mother too, Mom, how come we don't see any black people on TV? Oh, girl, shut your mouth. Be quiet. That's just the way things are. But no, that's not the way things work. And if it was that way, we needed to change it. So I was a radical in my family. But I love the Black Panther Party because they had a program for us to survive on. And we still need that today. Very much so today. And we need to show love toward our children, continue to show the youth that we really love them because our youth, you know, when they see the way we treat them, you know, some of them, they just want to take their life. And I know that for a fact because I became a counselor. I couldn't be what I wanted to be. I showed love and I went all the way to civil engineering. I did make it there, took my portfolio to a corporation. And they didn't think that because I was a black woman or I was a woman that I couldn't do that kind of work. You know, they said, I, they accused me. You didn't do this. Where did you learn this from? Who taught you this? I said, okay, here goes the love. I got to show them some love again. I'm just going to have to get up and walk away and say, you know what? The reason why it didn't work for you is because you didn't hire me. And I was able to show some more love by focusing on the children. Start with the babies. Teach them right. Teach them love. And I still do that today. I still do it today. Thank you, Catherine. When I was listening to both of you telling different stories, I was reminded of the, the joy of feeling the connections you talked about and how you served. And then Catherine, you know, when your tears came, I wanted to cry too, because our children do need us to love them, actively so, and not just some of the children, because all of them are the future of our world. And you brought up the 10-point program, and I'm looking right at it right here. And can you read number one? We want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. We believe that black people will not be free until we are able to determine our destiny. This is the original version of the Black Panther Party's 10-point program, so be mindful that some of the words, the phrases have changed to include all black and oppressed people, or men and women, because that was 1966 when this was written. But we know that it's a living document. We want full employment for our people. Just read the third one. 
not the commentary, just the third point. The third one is we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black community. I'll read a few of them. We want decent housing for, our, for all human beings. Just think about how often you walk by a houseless encampment. Do you walk quickly? Do you stop and say hello? Do you think, oh, another encampment? We want decent housing fit for the shelter of human beings. We're a wealthy country. We could build all the housing that's needed, don't you think? We want an education that teaches us, that exposes the true nature of the society and teaches us about ourselves. We want an immediate end to police brutality. There's one about people being exempt from military service, but that was when you were constricted. We want freedom for all black men and women held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. We house the most, we incarcerate the most people in our prisons and jails in the United States than any other place in the world. That's sobering, isn't it? In the world. We want all black people when brought to trial, and this meant all people of color, because the voter rolls produce the jury poll. We want all black and people of color when brought to trial to be in a court of a jury of their peers. We want land, bread, housing, clothing, justice, and peace. And for this 10-point program, the government stalked and incarcerated, beat and murdered, literally, um, many of us. And not just us, all of the movements we collaborated with as well were prey to this kind of fear of change. I'm not saying that lightly because I've learned in my life that what we call hatred is really fear in disguise. Isn't it, if you think about it? So, but what was it about, I don't know in which place you served after that, or that period that you talked about earlier, but what was it that made you want to continue to feed the children? Why'd you do that? Why did I want to work with the children every day? Why was I happy to get up and go to the school? I mean, why were our comrades feeling that getting up and going to a clinic and going out and testing people for sickle cell anemia was the joy of their lives? What is that? 
we saw the absolute need. Um, we were awakened to it. Those of us who um, uh, left San Francisco State, you know, as I did, um, we left, but we came back armed, actually literally armed with weapons, but also more importantly, we came back armed with a consciousness. So before then, the blacks who who went to San Francisco State and and who went to um, to other universities were trying to become middle class people, um, you know, lawyers, social workers, teachers, with a downward slant towards um, towards other people and towards other black people. They're really trying to escape it. And our training and our political uh, uh, classes, PE classes as we call them, helped us understand that our people needed us. And most of us went back into the community with our skills because we knew that there, were, there, there was a tremendous need and it's continued to this day. And, and does it show up in your work at UC Berkeley? Did what you learned in the Black Panther Party show up in your work as a professor, as well as an author and a poet? Absolutely. Uh, now, um, the, the push at UC Berkeley is to make it a Hispanic-friendly, a Latinx-friendly school. So the majority of my students are now, um, you know, from, um, I thought they would be from, uh, from other countries, they're from Los Angeles, you know. I'm like, oh, why did they come here instead of UCLA? But they're here, and um, it's the same battle for consciousness to wake them up. You know, they didn't do their work. Um, you know, uh, this is I'm old school. They didn't do their work. Uh, didn't you know? They didn't do their work a couple of weeks ago, and I just said, you know, each one of you represents a hundred people a thousand people, 10,000 people who will never get this opportunity to be here. We are here for a reason. We're not just here, here to lollygag. I don't want you to walk away from here saying, I went to the University of California at Berkeley. No, I want you to walk away from here saying, I graduated from the University of California. And so their white counterpart sitting on the other side of the room, the, the lovely white guy, I love him. You know, he does all his work and I said, in 10 years, he's going to be your boss, and you're going to be claiming racism, but it's not going to be racism. So, you know, I have that appreciation um, from, from my political activities always to help remind people this education is important for a reason, not for status, you know, for a mission. Well... <laughs> Try at it. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to talk about the children again because I, I keep coming back to them because, you know, we, we have adult children also that need to be fed. And when I'm saying I'm feeding children, I'm not just feeding them food. I'm feeding them knowledge also. We just had a, a Black Panther breakfast at Rosa Parks Elementary School. I invited so many people. And... Um, but it was okay if a lot of the people that I invited didn't show up because it was about the children. And they showed up. It was like three, four, almost 400 children. 
but we had a great time because they had lots of questions that they, they that, that was just eating at them. And we had those answers. We have the answers for them. We couldn't answer all the questions, so they're making a list for us so that those questions can be answered. And they're the same questions that you probably have too. But I, I'm loving myself because I am feeding the children and I found a way to feed them, not just the children, but the adult children. I found a way to give them knowledge, the knowledge that I learned, the knowledge that I have, the knowledge that I have of what makes up a community, what a community needs. That's what they needed to be fed. The tools, the skills that they need to have to keep feeding their community. Can I ask you a question? When um, this book that's so dear to you, <laughs> when you share it with a young person, let's say a young brown girl, black girl, an indigenous girl, yeah. what do you hope she will see and feel by looking at this book and reading the words? Because I the words are not fancy. They're not academic. No. And that's what they don't want them to be. We're not trying to make them be professors by reading this book. It's very simple, very easy to read. It's so real. It may be even something that they experience every day. And they will so appreciate it because they'll see themselves in it. And they'll want to be like that. You know, they want to be those women. They'll want to have a voice like that. They'll want to take a stand. And they want to take the right stand. And that book right there, it shows them how to how to do it, how to love yourselves. You know, because we don't, a lot of us don't know how to love ourselves. You know, we follow, we're always following someone else. But do we look into ourselves and try to love and learn how to love ourselves? I have to do that also. So now I'm ready to, to just share this love with everyone else. So, um, all of the people who have gathered here today, thank you, Catherine. You're and thank you. <laughs> thank you all. Judy. Um, we hope that you will learn something from the book, something that will inspire you to do something that's right in front of you. A friend of mine who's in a film called The First Rainbow Coalition was asked one day, it's so big, what can I do? And he quoted a friend of his who said, just stand at your front door and look right in front of you. You can do that. Look to the right of you, the left of you. You can do that. Look behind you. You can do what's there. Just do something. And so I leave you with that. We all leave you with that. And our hope is that you will buy the book not just to buy a book but that you will read it and share it and find something about your life being connected to what is here we'll be here to sign books um, after you buy them and if you can't they'll be around and um, we hope that we have shared with you something about the Black Panther Party that you didn't see on the 6 o'clock news or any other mass media something. As Stephen said to begin with, 
66% of the people in the Black Panther Party were women. Did you know that? If you knew anything about the Black Panther Party and all, all those, those guys that want to kill people, that's not, that's not who we were. We just wanted land, bread, housing, clothing, justice and peace. So, and uh, we were median age 19 year olds. So we were doing something different than the young people our age were doing, the people right around us. We were stepping forward in a way that may not be possible for everybody here, but there are things we can do. There is always something we can do. So thank you very, very much. So we do have books at the front counter, and I encourage you all, please grab one, and then we're going to set up a table. And so uh, we're just going to, it's going to be just a, you know, just going to move left to right, and uh, they'll all sign. And yeah, sorry? Um, yeah. Okay, first of all, thank you for sharing the information about San Francisco State because I had the huge honor of studying with Angela Davis there in the 90s. And, um, I'm sorry, I'll be quick. And Ms. Ms. Huggins, I believe you spoke at UCSF to the OB-GYN department, and I was there, and that was so meaningful to all of us, so thank you. Um, I want to ask, we need the Black Panther Party now more than ever. Is it coming back? Is there, is there, is it growing? Is, is there more activity, and, and how could people help? That's a great question. Um, are you a health professional? Uh, no, I'm a I say this with all respect to you and everyone here. I think it's important that we create organizations that we can be a part of. And I'll tell you one of them that I really appreciate. It's called Surge. Do you know about Surge? And I tell my friends and family and people that I talk to about Surge all the time because they are white people who talk to white people about what it means to be white. It is not a racist organization at all. It is compassionate, empathetic, and does training so that, for instance, if someone wants to know what they can do in the skin they're in with the connections that they do have and the skills and experiences as well, they can step forward. The onus has always been on people of color. Think about the land we're on, as Peter pointed out. We are on unceded territory right here. There is something I can do as a black person and as a black woman that Kathy and Judy can do, but there is also something that anyone can do, not just about land, but about housing, justice, 
and peace. So I, I, I hope that my answer wasn't offensive. It's, it's an honest answer. It'll take all of us. I always think of John Brown. Do you know who he was? No. Does anybody know John Brown? Who was he? My? In the 1800s, he was a white man. He had enough of slavery. Yeah, he led a rebellion at Harper's Ferry and he was killed for it. He was killed for rebelling against slavery. Now certainly we don't want anybody to die. We've seen enough death ourselves. But think of that. That's, I'm sure he was afraid, but think of the courage he had. So I always think of him. I have some special place in my heart for him. Something in me can relax when I think about him because the burden becomes lighter. I, w I was just going to say something about that too because there, obviously we're, we're facing threats to democracy and there's an election in November that's going to be very, very uh, important. And one of the main things the Panthers did, which is, isn't as well known, is registering people to vote. And they also ran candidates as early as 1968. They were founded in 66. Right from the beginning, they understood how important it was to get people in office. They helped get Ron Dellums elected to Congress. Later, Bobby Seale ran. Um, obviously, San Francisco is going to send some liberal Democrats back to Congress. But one thing that all of us can do is maybe just take a, a weekend that, you know, and go someplace into the hinterland and try and, no, I'm serious, and try and register some, some people to vote to, to swing some of these districts that, that are going to send election deniers. And, you know, you know what I'm saying back? Um, into Congress. The, the other thing we can do, which the Panthers couldn't have anticipated, is, is deal, start educating people in dealing about the climate crisis, which is, affects all of us, but who does it affect the most? Which communities are getting devastated most by the climate crisis, not only in the United States, but which countries um, around the world, in Africa and in Asia, wh which people are, are really suffering. So that's something, again, that all of us can, uh, can do. And I think Erica's idea of thinking about joining organizations that are, that are doing things, I mean, I guess we had to get smarter. The right-wing people are very organized. They know exactly, you know, what 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 they want and what lies they want to tell and often the left we're kind of you know discouraged but i think the message you know of this book and the message that i'm hearing from my my sisters here is is we can't be discouraged we need to to get out and 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 fight and we have means to fight you know 
right right now the ballot is the best thing we can do i mean this election in november is going to be very very important and if you you know all of us can take a little time and maybe go door to door not in san francisco but someplace where it might be a swing district and and um you know especially us white people because frankly you know in the 2020 election the majority of suburban white women voted for you know who okay so that's that's something um as white people we can maybe talk try to talk to some of even some of our relatives you know and people you know i mean i'm serious we all have relatives who like you know who i'm not going to mention his name I'm done. I I don't know if there are other questions. Were there other questions? Because we can go on to book signing, and we're going to sit here. Yeah, we'll sit here. We're going to be here. So, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Live from City Lights, a podcast from City Lights Bookstore and Publishers. Our theme music was provided by Axolotl. All City Lights events are free. To see upcoming events at City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, check out www.citylights.com events.